You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello, and welcome to our McKinsey Podcast. I'm Bar Seitz, Global Publishing Lead from McKinsey's Marketing and Sales and Digital Practices. And I'm very happy to be joined by Kabir Ahuja, a partner, and Liz Hilton Siegel, a senior partner who leads the marketing and sales practice in the Americas. They are also the co-authors of the article, Invest, Create, Perform, Mastering the Three Dimensions of Growth in the Digital Age, which was published in March. In today's conversation, we'll be digging into the importance of organic growth, how the best companies approach it, and what they do to change their growth trajectories. Liz and Kabir, thank you very much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thank you. All right, Liz, so let's start with you. In getting ready for this conversation, I reread a few McKinsey articles on growth. There was one in 1996 called Staircases to Growth, which looked at how the top growers took systematic series of manageable steps rather than single bold leaps to sustain growth. And then in 2007, there was the article, The Granularity of Growth, based on the book of the same title. It argued that companies can unlock significant growth by identifying at very narrow and small market segments where demand is strongest. So the topic of growth isn't new. What is new about growth? So digital has changed a lot about how companies compete for their consumers and their customers. And competition is higher than ever because uh, digital and the inter internationalization of markets makes consumer expectations and the fighting for consumers and customers uh, more so than it's ever been. So it really leads to pressure on companies to make sure that their products and services and their customer experiences are truly at the cutting edge of the industry to ensure that they're getting their fair share of revenues in the marketplace. But digital and advanced analytics also offer opportunities for companies. And we are seeing people leverage real-time data in very, very new ways to make better decisions on how they price, where they invest, where they apply their sales force. So while on the one hand, digital is offering the threat that if you don't keep up, you're unlikely to retain your market share position, it's also offering an opportunity to extract even more value by innovating your commercial processes. And I think what we've seen is that as the financial markets have increasingly put pressure on executives to deliver earnings in a very consistent way, there's been more and more company focus on cost and cost containment. And certainly that's partially driven by uh, slow GDP growth globally. But our question is, can you really pivot to more of a growth agenda? And can you leverage some of the cost savings that you've developed skills in to invest further in the company's growth? And that ultimately that's a, a longer and better path to value creation. Our point of view is that growth really matters, both to company value creation, but also to company survival. If you look, you'll find that over half the companies on the New York Stock Exchange that did not grow didn't survive. And so it's something that absolutely is a priority. And when we look at our clients and other institutions, we really have faith and confidence that people can grow more. And so you know, what we would do is invite them to explore the question of what would it take to increase the company's growth rate? Because with focus and a disciplined attempt at it, we're really confident that the company's growth rate can be more than what it's been. Great. And Kabir, you led a body of research into how the best companies approach growth in the digital age. What were some of the highlights of that research? We talked to a, a large number of executives to learn how they think about growth, how they approach growth, and how historically their companies had created and delivered growth. And we found out was, first of all, one of the key markers of 
a successful growth agenda is actually having a senior leadership team that has the intent to grow. So they actively think about growth as a top management item and invest behind it. Um, then we have uh, a, a separate set of learnings, which is about the how. And we learned that there are basically three call them lenses that companies use to drive growth. One is performance, which is kind of easily understood. It's improving the operational, the commercial engines to actually in increase sales and channel performance. There's a second, which is creation, that creation creator lens, which is all about generating new revenue through new products and services. And then there's the investor lens, which was all about reallocating your resources the right way and, and almost taking money away from and resources, parts of the business that aren't returning well, so that you're not starving places where there's opportunity to grow. We found that the best growers actually use all three lenses. Great, so this idea of corporate dexterity to pursue a diversified approach to growth makes sense. I think you'd expect companies to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time to oversimplify the point. Um, so Liz, why is this diversified approach to growth important? And what would a CEO or business unit leader do differently because of this insight? One thing just to start with is as an executive to simply ask yourself the question, which strategies do I tend towards? My experience working with clients across a lot of companies is that executives as individuals and management teams really do tend to bias. There are certain things that they are more comfortable with that they know have worked for them. And so they'll tend to stay on that strategy for a longer period of time and they will see it as risky to step out beyond that. If you bring 10 executives together and you describe to them the three lenses of growth and you ask them to describe, very quickly people will say, oh, well, I'm performer-oriented or I'm investor-oriented or I'm creator-oriented. So people can self-diagnose quite easily. The question on our minds is if you're quite deliberate about trying to broaden your capability set as a company and then to take a step back and say, what do we want to aspire to as a growth rate? What do I think our industry is producing? If I try to aspire to grow at a rate in excess of the industry, and I try to adopt a more broad or diversified toolkit, what would I do differently than I'm doing today? And like that, by the way, that's one of the hardest questions that I see, at least in all of my conversations, is how fast should I be growing? Like it's a fundamentally hard thing to understand what your trajectory is and how much you can affect it. How do you answer that question? It seems very difficult. We try to take both a top-down and a bottom-up approach to it. So the, the top-down point of view simply is that, which is to say, let's look at your industry segment. Let's look at the, the degree to which you are weighted to the faster or slower growing parts of your industry segment, and then create a, a natural growth trajectory based on the momentum of the industry. The bottom-up approach to it is to take each of these lenses, investor, creator, performer, and say at a granular level, what do we think the opportunities are for your company and what's holding you back from achieving those opportunities to create a roadmap? And often it ends up with a aspiration for growth that is greater than where they start. That's really the mindset shift that, that, that we encourage senior executives to take, especially those who can control those multiple lenses, is to say, actually have a growth aspiration and be oriented around it. All right, did you ever see that movie, The Candidate with Robert Redford? It's about a candidate running for the U.S. Senate. He gets caught up in the campaigning and he forgets what he's running for and then he wins. And there's this great scene at the end when he talks to his campaign manager and asks him, all right, what do we do now? So I, I think, you know, as a CEO, looking at this framework, you know, creator, performer, investor, and they're ready to develop that corporate dexterity to pursue a diversified growth program. But what do we do now? Kabir. How does an executive turn this organic growth map into a functioning operating model for growth? 
you gotta start with just being deliberate about creating a plan for how to grow using the different lenses. And then on the back of that, have a sequence to that and understand the capabilities you need. An example company for the investor portion, we found there were actual cities that were ripe for expansion into. When we looked at the, from the creator lens, we said, look, there's a lot of innovation and entertainment and the bar and restaurant scene. The value proposition could actually ratchet up their revenue by a significant amount if you could find two or three more opportunities for patrons to spend and be happy. Uh, and then in the performer, their sales channels didn't have the required level of performance management that they needed. So we had a clear sense in each of the three lenses where growth could come from. And then on the back end, you have to think about what capabilities you need, what you have, and the speed to impact of each of those activities and sequence them in the right order. This idea of being deliberate, I just find an intriguing idea because it seems so simple. It, it does. We had a CFO forum in, in London. We had hundred of the world's leading CFOs, and we talked about this. And it was funny because in reflection, many of them said, oh yeah, we were definitely a performer. And then you ask the question, well, was that on purpose or is just what you're comfortable doing? And oftentimes the answer is, it's what we're comfortable doing. And that's fine. They happen to be very good at it. And it's delivered a lot of value. But then you run out of juice at some point. You actually do need to diversify the tactics you use. And Liz, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, which is like, hey, there's actually a way to consciously choose to do something else and build the capabilities to make sure it succeeds. What's hard about it and often why a new executive can create the shakeup necessary to reset the growth agenda is that certainly in the case of being an investor, odds are you're going to break glass as it relates to how the budget has been spent in the past. Because you're going to go in and say, hey, we need to find a way to spend less money here in order to spend more money there. And we're in a performer mindset, you're going to say there's actually a better way to do this and we're going to deliberately build new skills to optimize our pricing approach or to squeeze more efficiency out of our marketing spend. And so by definition, what we're asking for is change and we're asking for change in the service of higher company performance on the growth dimension. And Liz, when we've talked about this idea about having a diversified approach to growth, you've mentioned this idea of companies performing like triathletes, right, where they have to build up different sets of muscles to be able to do multiple things well. What sorts of muscles do businesses need to develop to drive growth, and how do they balance the development of them to do those three things well? Kabir referred to this earlier, but you've got to decide to be in the race, right? You've got to decide that you're there to play and that you're there to play a growth game, and you need to get the whole management team lined up behind a growth game. There are times when, when we start talking about growth, sometimes people think this is a CEO question because it's a strategy question. And sometimes people think, oh, this is the CMO's question because it's about how to spend your marketing dollars. Or sometimes people think, oh, it's the head of the sales force because they're the ones who create revenue for the business. But re in reality, it's the entire management team's question. And the CFO plays about as valuable a role as anybody because ultimately they're a major part of the question of how resources are allocated. So I would say the first thing, absolutely table stakes, is a mindset that we are here as a management team to deliver a faster growth rate than we have in the past. The second thing is a very disciplined resource allocation process, and whether that's about net new, meaning that there's always a point of view in the company about where to spend dollars on the margin and, a, and clarity about what those dollars will return, uh, or if that's a mental model which says no individual budget item is held because it was last year's number. And there's always opportunity to squeeze out more savings in a company. And the reason why is because if you don't do that, there's an opportunity cost relative to where new investments might be placed to get incremental growth. Beyond those two, what we found is that folks who were 
top growers, they had two capabilities that really stood out relative to uh, their peers who were not growing as fast. One was, not surprisingly, around data and analytics, and that might be a marker of what companies today who are really leaning forward, what are they investing capabilities in? We certainly see data and analytics as something that helps you uh, squeeze out incremental growth on the margin. And then the second thing is um, the ability to collaborate uh, cross-functionally, to work in an agile uh, method, that this is another marker of uh, top growers. We didn't see things like innovation per se, something that particularly differentiated uh, top growers from others, which I think is interesting. We did see that for the different lenses we talked about, for companies that self-identified as uh, a creator, that customer insights was something that they also uh, called out as being uh, unique to them. And within the investor, we found that they identified speed and efficiency in their processes as something that was a particular competency of their organization. I think when we talk about data and analytics, there's sort of a sense that that's all about productivity. How do you think about that as a growth tool capability? Understanding this whole resource allocation question, it's not just a process question. It's also a data question. It's how well can I understand the cells of performance, whether it be by channel, by geography, by type of sales force. There's so many ways you can cut data in your business. This is back to the articles that you talked about there. The principles that are still applied today, granularity of growth, understanding where to put your dollars to find growth. Actually, data can be a huge accelerator to that and, and make a real difference. Similarly, you could use data and analytics in insight. We now have empirical views on how people interact with the world because of digital. It actually is really powerful to not just use data as back-end, how did things go, but actually understand how the way the world works around you, how your customers experience your products or services um, or even interactions with you, and then use that to go back into this whole creator mindset. In general, I mean, our philosophy when we work with clients to help them either change their capabilities or to achieve a higher level of performance, our experience is that the two go hand in hand best. So in other words, if you're a company and you say, look, I'm sitting here with a 3% growth rate and I want to be at a 6% growth rate, and you believe the data and the analytics is the path to that, you know, we will, of course, bring in people that have data and analytics expertise, and, and that's certainly very helpful to a client to pave out where they want to go. But more importantly is applying that to a specific set of initiatives that are actually going to produce the higher growth rate so that the building of the data and analytics capability is fueling the outcome you want and then it's completely self-reinforcing. So one of the biggest things about data and analytics is it actually gives you the capability to respond much quicker. So it's, it's data and analytics both in terms of level of precision, using machine learning and a whole bunch of new techniques, but also the speed at which it happens has changed dramatically how the actions a company can take on the back end um, happen. And why is that so important today? Well, everybody's moving faster. If you have a new product, you can expect a fast follower faster than ever before. If I think about one of my retail clients who is now just beginning the journey of really using truly real-time competitive pricing information to change their promotional decisions every day on every SKU. The concept of that seems very daunting at first, but once you actually get moving on it, you can always make it incrementally better. Liz, you've alluded to this in our conversation earlier in terms of the mindset that executives need to have to drive growth. So having worked with business leaders on growth and observed how the most successful ones operate, 
What are the characteristics of leading executives who can drive growth consistently? The first thing is just to set an ambitious agenda around growth and to be as purposeful about going after that growth agenda as you might after a cost transformation or a re-engineering or restructuring effort. The company needs to have the leadership of the, of the CEO or the business unit head. It needs a purposeful set of initiatives and it needs a clear path to go after achieving those initiatives. So the first thing simply is set the agenda and, and do it in a disciplined way. You know, the second thing I would note is that it is really helpful to be thinking concurrently about the short term and the long term. So sometimes growth conversations can have an ethereal feel, like we're talking about several years from now. And while it's absolutely important to put investments down today and to go after uh, innovation that may not produce for a couple of years, there's no question that that's valued. There needs to be a balance with things that will really deliver and produce results in the short term. The last thing is look closely at results. You want to make sure that you're seeing material improvements quarter over quarter whether it's to build momentum within the analyst community or whether it's to build a momentum around the employee base, to build confidence in greater investment going forward, look closely at, at results. And the only thing I would add to that is just that senior executives who are driving growth have the opportunity to set a story that the company can rally around and generally, genuinely create excitement around growth. Growth is an exciting thing. And one of the characteristics of the CEOs and business leaders and executives who execute growth successfully is that they actually set that growth story for the company and rally everyone behind it. To get to the next level down, what does that actually look like to set a growth agenda? What does it actually look like to review results and take decisions based on that? My view is it looks like any planning process in the company, right? So it is a end-to-end -end review of every opportunity for growth that exists in the company. Uh, it might go business unit by business unit, it might go function by function, but it's the disciplined asking of the question, where can we get more? And whether that's where can we get more from what we do today, the way we talked about through the performer lens, or whether that's where is there a white space in a market that we're not yet seizing, and therefore you look at it through the creator lens and say, what is a part of the market we want to actually play in? And what are our ideas about what products or services might play in those markets? You know, or whether it's the, this question around the investor, which is, if I had another $100 million, where would I deploy it? And now go, let me go ask the question of where am I going to go get that $100 million for? So I think like any planning process, it's just a disciplined look across the company. It's just with an expectation of an outcome, which is an acceleration of the company's growth rate. And just to pair with that, discipline tracking. Yes. Right? So it's, a, it's the discipline look about where we're going to grow, then actually tracking if you're if you're delivering that growth against the, the identified areas similar to what you said like any other really structured process growth can be delivered that way and you know it just comes back maybe to the message from the, what we started with is if you go through and put you know in one group our clients who grow very rapidly and in another group our clients who do not and you ask what's the top management priority the differentiator is what they're focused on the companies that are not growing is because their agenda is something else. Their agenda is around cost or their agenda is around something else. Whereas the companies who are growing is because that's the top management team's objective. I'm afraid we're out of time. Thank you, Liz and Kabir, for joining me for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, you can read their article, Invest, Create, Perform, Mastering the Three Dimensions of Growth in the Digital Age on McKinsey.com. And you can keep up with the latest from McKinsey on organic growth topics by following us on Twitter at mck underscore 
MKTG Sales. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.